The Beer EDU Podcast, Episode 64. Don't ditch that tech with Nate and Angie Ridgeway. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey, Kyle, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. How about you, my friend, Ben? I am good. This is, if we're together, must be another episode of the Beer EDU Podcast. This is episode 064. I am Ben Dixon, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bdixonnv and my podcast partner. I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AndersonEdTech, my blog AndersonEdTech.net. And you can also find my book to the edge at, geez, I can't even talk right now. I'm still, I'm still just, still just in that mode of like, I can't believe this has happened (laughs) kind of deal. So to the edge successes and failures through risk taking, you can find that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And I've been told it might start popping up in some other places too. So some random places you wouldn't even expect. Like uh, I was talking to another author that their books on walmart.com and they're like, wait, how did that get there? So so cool. yeah, I'm not sure if that'll happen or not, but we'll see. So yeah, check out check out the book. I'm awesome. pretty excited so, about it. So I, I, people need to pick that up. So hey, if we're together, we're talking about education. We're also talking about beer. So Kyle, what do you have for us? I went with something today. Um, well, I guess it was trying to be hold on to the winter season a little bit, um, <laughs> even though we do. We woke up today and realized that there was a little snow on the ground we did not expect. Yes. So it actually went together real well. So. Line and Kugels, which is a brewery that it's been around for quite a while, and it it's kind of, in my opinion, fallen off in recent years because all they do now pretty much is shandies, <laughs> and, yeah, and yes. uh, they but they still do have a handful of just standard beers out there, and one of them is the Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. That's what I picked up right. here for today, and it's a just a standard porter um, aged with vanilla. It's six uh, percent ABV, sixteen IBU. Uh, little hints of chocolate and coffee, and then obviously that vanilla flavor. So it's a nice little sipper for the colder weathers that, again, I was hoping to hold on to for a little bit. And then the, yeah. then it answered. The snow came down out of the sky. So, And you, my friend, you went with something that you would never uh, drink. No. Yes, ever. No, ever. I went with a I, double IPA from Stone Brewery, The Fear Movie and Lions. So you gotta you gotta buy it to explain the name of the beer because it has to do with where the beer was made, but it's a solid double IPA, eight point five percent ABV, sixty IBU, not super crazy. Um, it's a little hazy when you pour it. Um, and I bought a I bought a a mixed pack from my big box uh, liquor store of um, Stone stuff. So you know you can't go wrong with Stone. No, not definitely not. So I I haven't had any stone in a while just because there's so many other choices out there. But yeah, yeah, that's one of those that if you're at the store and they got a very limited selection and you see that, you can never go wrong with them. Anything from Deschutes or anything from yes. Sierra Nevada, as well, it, we're here on the West Coast, where sure. those are popular. And, and this one, I had I've had a couple of the beers in the pack, and there were two. This was one that I had not had, so I was like, okay, well, I'll buy it because I haven't tried these ones. So no, it's pretty solid. So yeah, it was good. But hey, we have guests. We uh, have two guests. We have two time. guests this time. Yes. So we have Nate 
and Angie Ridgeway, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thanks guys for having us. Absolutely. So welcome to the show. Thanks for taking some time out on this day to join us and talk a little bit. So because there's all sorts of great things that we could talk about with the two of you. And I mean, I know I've got a ton of questions already. And I'm sure Ben does too. So yep. so let's start a little bit though first with introductions. So tell yep. us a little bit about yourselves, what you do, kind of like what you're all about. You want to go first, Wait. Mom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first of all, to clarify, um, we are a mother and son pair. Mm. Yes. Not a couple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I am a professor of secondary education at University of Indianapolis, not to be confused with IU, because we are a fifth of that size with about 6,200 students on the south side of the city of Indianapolis. And I'm a Spanish teacher and I taught uh, 7th through 12th grade before uh, one of my mentors convinced me to come out of the classroom kicking and screaming because I didn't want to leave my kids to prepare other teachers, he saw that that would be a great mission for me, and it certainly has been. And so I work with secondary teachers from all content areas at both the undergraduate and graduate level. Actually, I don't teach instructional technology, um, which is what we wrote the book about. I model it all the time, um, mm -hmm. but I teach um, different pedagogical, methodological courses and a version of educational psychology. Cool. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, uh, I am currently a social studies teacher in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I actually got started in SPED was my first job, um, but I got like super crazy burnout fast um, being like a first year teacher and I just wasn't really ready for that. Um, however, what I'm doing now is I'm more just like a passionate nerd of, of things. Uh, so I take a lot of time and I just kind of meditate on um, really how I can combine the worlds of UDL, SPED, EdTech, and then just like good evidence-based, like actual pedagogical teaching. Um, so that's kind of what I do, and that's me. And I should add that we are on Twitter at Teach From Ridge, kind of a play on our last name of Ridgeway, okay. at Teach From Ridge, and then our blog is Teaching From the Ridge with all different kinds of resources for your listeners, including a huge differentiation app calendar that Nathan and I jointly created through the month of December. Um, it's great for those looking to get into uh, better ways to differentiate instruction because you click on the date and it tells you exactly how to use an instructional technology for differentiation. And we tend to blog about every week or so, give or take right on very nice so yeah nate you're kind of your journey was um about the opposite of mine i started out in social studies and did that for a long time and now i'm in the special ed whereas you know you were the complete opposite there so yeah yeah now and then angie you mentioned that there's a book so what is this book that you speak of so nate and i had this brainstorm um almost two years ago now because it, it takes a while to put a book together um, to think about the intersection between and the power of instructional technology and using it to meet more students' needs. And we took that to Matt Miller, who's written the Ditch series, and to his publisher and came out with a book called Don't Ditch That Tech, Differentiation in a Digital World. 
Yep. And then um, now kind of uh, what we've done with that book is we've kind of taken some of the ideas and expanded on it and, you know, gone and gone and done other things. So we even have like a podcast for new teachers that um, is currently, I think we're at 14 episodes or so, uh, but it's, it's growing from there. It's currently on a little bit of a hiatus. Why, why I'm finishing up master's classes right now. We're, we're, we're busy people. So it's, uh, you know, teaching in the classroom at the same time as doing all the other stuff keeps us quite occupied. Oh, absolutely. So Ben and I, we live four miles apart, oh, yeah. and we have not recorded an episode in person very often at all. And <laughs> we are we're sixty four episodes into this uh, show, and I think we've done maybe ten episodes where we've actually yeah, been sitting together because bu- busy schedules. No, we we absolutely understand the busy schedules. So yeah. So now one of my first questions is that now Angie, you're you're at the university level teaching and preparing students to become teachers later on down the road. What do you see with the students that are coming in? How prepared they are for the, I don't like using the 21st century skills because I mean, we're 20 years into it at this point, but those, <laughs> those new age skills that we expect students to have, how prepared are your students coming in? Do you think? Well, I'm, I'd like to think that we have them really well prepared. Um, Nathan can address that because actually he's one of our graduates Uh and and ironically he was one of my students when he um when he moved colleges during his undergraduate career um but oh I tell them how I wish I could go back and have the preparation that they did Mm -hmm. so our program is um very school-based so when I say I teach at the university I spend I think I averaged it out every two and a half days I'm in a school um, so we start with our students from their freshman year forward, and every semester, one of their courses is tied to a school-based experience. I didn't have that. kind. I had great preparation, but I didn't have that rich connection between theory and practice as an undergraduate. Um, but having said that, it's a lot to take on to become a teacher in today's school. In Indiana in particular, two of the 10 children in our schools on average, are in areas of food scarcity and high poverty. Um, The children have a lot of needs in our communities. Um, And with technology and other things um, constantly changing, it is quite challenging to become a secondary teacher. But I also think, and what they tell me is, it's very rewarding. Yeah, I think... um... And kind of to also like to return to your question, like how, how prepared are they for, uh, you know, new teachers are for this world. I think the, the thing that I've come to understand that's most important is not necessarily being prepared for the particular apps that are out there right now, because apps as, as uh, people who are in the ed tech world, uh, are very familiar with, they come and go, um, and sometimes for, for better or for worse. But the, the thing that really matters is adopting the, the mindsets and the traits and um, just the, the conceptual understandings of how and why these particular things should be used. Because then you can take that and you can run, you know, anywhere you want to with it, uh, you know, across the ed tech world. So, so I'm going to tag on to that if I could, because um, Nathan brings me to another point. Um, our teacher education programs at UND are um, based in Universal Design for Learning. And if your listeners aren't familiar with UDL, I would send them to cast.org, which has some amazing resources. And it really tees a teacher up 
to have, as Nathan's mentioned, um, a conceptual and philosophical basis for really how that new teacher enters the classroom. Not all the tricks and the trades of, of what you do, but the right mindset, if I say right, quote unquote, the appropriate mindset to think initially about your practice and how you are going to strive to meet as many student needs as you can um, in the way in which you teach and assess. So the website, cast.org, what, what, how do you spell that? Is it just C-A-S-S? Yes, C-A-S-T dot O-R-G. Um, and originally, like I, I can give you the 30-second the you know, spiel of, of basically what it is, is that um, UDL was originally a philosophy that was um, created by this group, uh, actually for architects, in terms of how they could make buildings more accessible for people. Um, mm -hmm. But if we think about this idea of like extending like, you know, accessibility is not just a thing that, like, as a construction worker, you have to think about, like, can't everybody utilize this building? It's something that you can very simply, um, you know, kind of bleed into the teaching realm. And this kind of thing happens from time to time. Um, it's kind of, in, in some ways, like trauma-informed teaching or, um, you know, uh, and there's, uh, like, other kind of, you know, hot topics out there that are kind of this way that have kind of bled over from certain fields into the teaching world. And this is a really, really powerful one that kind of helps us think about the ways that we're breaking down barriers, increasing access, and then also um, like make, making our lessons more culturally diverse and, um, you know, uh, accessible and also responsive. So. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's I, I got the website pulled up right now. I'm looking on here and there's, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff here yeah. on research on professional learning on um, working with them. So, I mean, contacting the organization to, have them mm -hmm. help you out more with um, implementing UDL in mm -hmm. in the classroom. No, this is a great website. So I'm I'm sticking this one in the show notes right now. Yeah. So, and really, our our task was when when we were sitting down, and we were writing our book. Is like, how can we take this world of ed tech um, and really fuse it into um, all the work that's been done out there by people on differentiation, like. Um, uh, I mean, we could, I mean, there's tons and tons of people, but Carolyn Tomlinson's one person right. who we generally would point people to, um, and, and, and UDL, and, and how can we merge those worlds together? And so that's really kind of where the essence of our, our book came from with, uh, with Matt, and then, um, yeah, you know, and, and the rest is kind of history, as, as we would say. So and I think another thing I want to say, if I could, about um, UDL and then Caroline Tomlinson's work mm -hmm. out of University of Virginia on differentiation is that Nate and I were very careful that we um, we kind of navigated that tightrope between mm -hmm. coming up with tricks and techniques that are like right. spaghetti noodles tossed on the wall. We right. didn't want that, but we wanted the book to be user-friendly um, okay. while at the same time grounded in all the great research that's been done on what practice really does make a difference in students learning. Oh, that makes, well, and that makes sense. Cause there's a ton of stuff when we talk about differentiation, there is a ton of stuff out there and, and that is a danger. I would agree that people just try things and they're like, oh, okay, I'll just try this and then I'll try this mm -hmm. and then I'll try this. So I think that's a good idea. Do you find with your, with your undergraduates coming into your, into the program, and, and then I'm guessing they have more experience with, with ed tech, probably way more than I did <laughs> um, programming a DOS computer in college. But uh, what um, do you find with that? Is that a help or is that kind of a hindrance sometimes to kind of readjust their thinking? 
Well, I think, you know, my students are only three months older than, than Nate uh-huh. when they finish high school. But I think it's this shift from being the consumer mm-hmm. on social media with whatever the latest app is, TikTok or whatever the latest app is, Twitter, some of them use, to being the creator mm-hmm. and the um, instigator to using that as a resource to lead students toward learning is is quite a shift for our students. Uh, about 75% of our like metropolitan area schools mm-hmm. are one-to-one with a device. So yes, they have been um, the recipient of some of that use in their schools and that just varies. Mm-hmm. You know, as you can imagine with any instructional technique but certainly with technology some teachers are using it you know quite effectively and regularly and others use it as an electronic bulletin board so their experiences can vary tremendously so now looking at i so now i kind of um went over to i i pulled up your blog site and um and then also the book as well here so i'm looking here you know don't ditch that tech in I, full disclosure, I have a copy of it. I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's it's on my nightstand with about 18 other books that I just have not had a chance to take a look at yet. So, so now with the book, so the, the idea that one of you has the university background, one of you has the secondary background, and then you brought in Matt Miller, who's been speaking around the world now for several years after he taught for several years too. So how did that kind of come about? Like the whole idea of writing, don't ditch that tech. Um, well, I can I can actually somewhat give the, the the short synopsis of this, although my mom knows more about it. it basically, she and Matt were following each other around at conferences for a long time um, because it, she's a former Spanish teacher and still teaches. Um, like that's her, you know, that that was your that's area, mom. Was, area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was your big content area, and that's what Matt was too. Um, and so they were just following each other around at conferences, and then um, by the time uh, that I was at my current teaching gig. Basically, my my school just kind of let me go free for about five years to go down the, you know, like deep down into the into the abyss of ed tech. Um, And then (laughs) that gave me a lot of time to think. Uh, Mm -hmm. And by the time that I had been working with a lot of these technologies and stuff like that, my mom was like, you know, we really need to do like a book about this idea. Like there's there's so much stuff that could be done here. Nobody's talked about differentiation in tech before. There's nothing out there about it. like that that's when she was like oh well we should definitely talk to matt because he's got his whole ditch book series which is all about you know like you know creative um approaches that are uh kind of moving away from the traditional textbook style of teaching um and so that's that's kind of where the the idea for the book was born i just saw the the power to harness that technology to meet more students needs which has been so cumbersome especially for beginners in the field of teaching when you think, oh, I have to create this activity and then I have to duplicate it in three different levels. And, you know, when you can use technology to take one lesson and make it meet, you know, three or four different content level needs or different processing needs, it just makes it so much easier um, for the beginning teacher and then for students to have voice and power in their own learning. And I said, Nate, there's a book out there. And I, I kept looking for something, you know, written, like, how do I show my future teachers that there's so much power in this process? 
and I couldn't find anything. And so we took the I, the concept to Matt, and he took then he took it to his publisher. <clears throat> so how did that whole process work with as mother and son? Because my my mother's not a teacher, but. And I love my mother dearly, but I'm not sure how well I would work with her. So what was that whole process like? I'm just kind of interested. <laughs> uh, we're actually really good, like, uh, writing um, balances for each other. Um, my mom is much more the pedagogue than I am, um, even though I, you know, I do dabble in the dark arts. Um, I... Uh, you know, for for me, like, and she, like, I, I don't know. I th I think mom, you tend to be a bit more reflective, and um, not not to say that I'm that I'm not, but like, you you tend to be much more uh, kind of have that like more academic rich background than I do, um, and I I have um because I'm still dealing with, you know, secondary students now. Um, and again, that's not to say that she's not you know either. Uh, it just it brings two very kind of different unique but you know writing styles to the actual. Uh, mm -hmm. process and then you mm -hmm. toss mats in there and it's uh, it's a fun combination we had these um fun rich writing sessions didn't we nate so nate <laughs> has a two-year-old okay yes, I, uh, I have a, a two-year-old <laughs> and so um he would come to our house and um my husband's there nate's what whatever combination of family right and nathan and i are just spewing all these ideas in this back and forth mm -hmm. conversation about how we teach and why we teach and how you express that to someone else. And it was just the most intellectually and emotionally invigorating um, part of the work for me, mm -hmm. just, just to watch him like grow up that way. But then, you know, he would kind of push me on the actual practice. Like, mom, you can't explain it that way because a teacher fell in the blank. And then I would push him on, why are we doing it that way, Nathan? And what are we anchoring this to? Because let's think about good practice and research. And so our perspectives are a bit enough different that I think it adds richness to the conversation. And then you put Matt in there, who's just a very talented writer with the first, um, Matt's first career was in journalism. And so you put his ability to just take complex thoughts and put them into understandable um logical language and i don't know it worked i guess <laughs> well yeah that's i always wonder about that because i know all all of you having written books uh like how that process works in terms of especially when you factor in i know with kyle it's one person kyle sending his stuff to editors and those kind of things i'm imagining three people gets kind of muddy yeah, it, it can. Um, I mean, I, I think that this is Matt's third book, so he was already kind of very, you know, familiar with it. And this is like what your eighth mom or something like that. It's um, no, it's just about my fourth. Okay, fourth. okay, yeah, this is my fourth. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. Um, I only had one other where it was three people, right? And really, two of us wrote most of it, and the other person was more like an editor. So this was this was more complex and. And for a wider audience, because my other books were in my content specifically, uh, content pedagogy. Right. So, yeah, this this was more challenging project that way to have that many people. And, you know, we thank God for technology because we didn't work in person, did we, Nate, much? No, never. I, I mean, you and I did some. But oh, yeah, yeah, we did some. Then... Matt might live in Indiana, but seriously, he's probably, what, over two hours from you, Nate? Yeah. 
easily. And at least mm -hmm. an hour and a half from Nice, and then he's traveling all the time. So um, we use technology to our favor. Every <laughs> every aspect of it, from Google Docs to Hangouts to cell phone calls, and sometimes somebody was in the car. It just got crazy, you know, trying to put it all together. <laughs> yeah, and just looking through the book here. So, like I said, I've got a copy of it. So, looking through, I love the setup for it. So, where in the beginning, it's having the person reflect on where they're at with technology then introducing some tools. These are some things you can use. Maybe you're using some, maybe you're not. And then going into deeper, like then how to use some of those tools and uh -huh. then kind of turning it over, really just looking from the teacher giving the student everything to where eventually towards the end of the book, now it's becoming turning ownership over the students using the technology as well. Yeah. And which kind of gets a lot to the theme of the book as well, but the whole book is differentiated because we try to be big practitioners of what we preach um, and so the whole book is, besides being a stuff full of examples, which I think most education books, you know, they, they need to give teachers some practical things they can latch on to. Like we, we wanted our book to be insanely accessible um, for people. And um, we, what we did is we came up with a model that people take, they, they take this test at the very beginning of the book. And it's, it's not, you know, super scientific, but it's enough where you can get a, get a start to kind of understanding where you are. And, and the whole theme of the book is like understanding how you differentiate the technology in the classroom. Um, because again, like this whole thing, like we just throw Chromebooks at kids and we throw MacBooks at teachers and et cetera, et cetera. And then we're like, okay, so go, you know, go use it. Uh, and then our, our question for, for teachers is how, and then why, uh, and then kind of the, then the logical third question is then, okay, so now what? Um, and so really, uh, we wanted to take a moment to make the book uh, as accessible as possible for people. Um, so basically what happens is, is that the book in a way is almost divided into uh, sections that are tailor made for you as a teacher in terms of what you can actually do with, um, differentiating in the classroom. So. Is it's like we, we set up the technology in our systems, whatever the system is, whatever type of school, secondary or higher ed or primary, and we think, okay, teachers are going to take it and run, and some certainly can. Nate did that. He took what he had learned at the university and in his, you know, clinical placements, and he ran. And I've taught myself 90% of it, too. But not everybody's ready or attuned to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I said to Nate, because I work not only with secondary teachers, but I also lead um, faculty development at my institution. And I said to Nate, you know, we have to have a comfortable entry point for any teacher mm -hmm. because it's when you expect everyone to come in and and be, like you said, you know, differentiating, like we have the creative art coach is kind of on our archetypes, The you know, the teacher who's doing the most differentiation and and really empowering the learners when you expect everyone to do that immediately then i think teachers you know they're put off by that and understandably because they're not developmentally ready for that entry point either yeah our, our goal in the book is not to try to tell teachers the way that they should teach it's to empower them with options um and to really show them the what they can harness with with what's what's in front of them yeah, and that's definitely something I notice in here just uh, when I'm just doing a quick scan through the book. Just There's just pages upon pages of different tools and links to not just tools, but 
to other resources. So the page I'm on right now, you got YouTube, which is a very common one, but then uh-huh. one on the Bozeman Science, uh, where there's hundreds of science-based instructional videos out there where if you're a science teacher, I'm sure that is an absolutely amazing resource. And then just a lot of these other ones that are here as well. So the, yeah, there's a lot of great tools and different resources that are in here that you stuck in here. Yeah, and some some of our reviewers have, have suggested it's it's as much of in terms of books it's as much of a guidebook as anything because mm-hmm. you can go back and look at it and then reread it and then think about differentiation in different ways and we've had teams of teachers reading it too which is i think is immensely helpful because you come up with ideas together so then with your with your blog that you're doing that's more recent and more updated do you expand on the ideas in the book, what do you, what what's that about then? Sure. Um, so if and, and again, it's teaching for the ridge. If people would like to go there and find it, mm-hmm. um, really, it, it's kind of a little bit of everything. Um, some of it is expanding upon some of the ideas that we establish in um, don't detect directly. Other ones are um, things that, like for example, like that have come out like in the podcast um, that we've launched for new teachers, which is called Make It Till Friday. Um, that we kind of took the ideas from that blog and then we kind of expand on it, um, or excuse me for that podcast and we expanded upon it. And then other things are more just like completely out of the out of the blue, like ideas of um, you know uh, things that are seem crazy and insane, but in a way makes sense with ed tech. Um, so, for example, like uh, we since since we put um, the idea of choose your own journey stories in there um, mm-hmm. in the book and using that to make um because we we one of the levels of differentiation in the book that we talk about is this idea of a museum exhibitor about somebody who's using technology to provide their students with interactive options um and one of the things that we blogged about was five things that you can kind of need to keep in mind when making choose your own journey stories and so we we, we talked about like how you can add um kind of like take your choose your own journey stories kind of to the next level um, in terms of like, I, I just actually did this with my kids last week, where um, if you have ever heard of these stories that you can do online with Google Slides, but besides the template, which we had already published in um, like a YouTube tutorial that we kind of walked teachers through doing it, we, um, I, I took a moment and I went back and I, um, with my kids, I actually added in, I started adding in scoring systems to mine. Oh, okay. um, and so we started like, and and I kind of explained like how I'm starting to use the stories to, and I, and I always have been, but like this idea of like, I can teach specific morals and standards still through the story. Um, so for example, like one I just did, which there's an example of it online is um, one about the early Red Scare in the United States in the 1920s. And what happens is as the kids, um, decide to go after communists or not um, in, in the country, uh, they, they cause uh, either an, an increasingly high amount of paranoia um, between, uh, you know, American citizens kind of freaking out that communists are infiltrating everything, or um, they don't do anything at all. And then that has some very, very different um, experiences. And so by the end of the um, class, I actually have students gr- start graphing um, the scores they get out of the game. And so we actually like it, it even becomes like in somewhat like a math um, analysis where we start looking at, you know, traits and different things like that. So um, that, that's kind of like the whole idea behind the blog. 
Um, one of the more recent things that I took from it, and this is one that I, I really want to expand on more, um, just have yet to do so for lack of time, um, is uh, th there was one that I put out a while ago called Breaking the Blockbuster Model, which is thinking about um, UDL kind of in this new edtech world um, and coming across like and really meditating about this idea of access. So you'll kind of find a little bit of everything there in that blog, uh, you know, templates that you can take away and use in your classroom um, to more kind of, um, you know, more practical ideas uh, and then some more philosophical ones. There's one that I'm going to be updating here this next week, which is um, with all of the um, news about the coronavirus that's mm -hmm. been going around, the COVID-19, um, about um, things that teachers can do to um, kind of... Uh, how, how can they better do flipped classrooms um, with their kids and some technologies and apps and strategies right. that they can explore with that? Because that's something that, unfortunately, because of this issue going on, that uh, we, we may need to very well be prepared for. So, Yeah, I did see your – I saw your guys' tweet about that, so I was mm -hmm. interested in that That because it is that super topical right now. So. Yep. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And again, that kind of goes back to the whole point of our blog is like we're really here to empower people with options and to um, show them small things that they can do to, to transform their teaching. Yeah, I'm looking at the blog uh, site right now and just some of your posts that you have here. So you've got your Flipgrid one here. So absolutely great tool that if I, I find it hard to believe that there's people out there still that haven't heard of Flipgrid. But if you haven't, that I'm that this is going to be a great post here and then. I see your advent calendar that you made here as well. So that's really great. And then I, I'm not going to read it right now, obviously, but I'm, I am going to go back after this is done and read six degrees of connection making because of the whole. <laughs> I Kevin saw that Bacon. one too. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I saw yeah. That too. Like that's absolutely hilarious right there that you, you were it's... able to take that six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing and turn it into a educational blog post. Yeah. So like, and the, like that one came from a really, really like uh, just a big, like grinding my gears issue that I've had with high, my some of my high school students where they think that because like simply they have the study guide or they've sat in class that they're going to be able to meaningfully be able to retrieve the information when the time comes for tests. And I would highly encourage your listeners if they haven't um, yet checked out um, the work uh, which is called Powerful Teaching by Patrice Bain and Pooja Agarwal um, to do that. Um, because that's a, that's kind of was the inspiration for this blog. Um, but the, like, so like, basically like I'm trying to get my kids to understand, like, and this was what I put in the blog post, like, just because you sit there and you watch football all day and you understand how the game works, doesn't mean that I can throw you out on an NFL combine right now and you just nail it. Like that takes, yeah. you know, decades and, and years of practice and deliberate work and, uh, and training, and so I, I'm. Uh, I, I this was an idea, a template that I've uh, that I've done with my students. I'm going to be publishing some of them next week about some of their attempts to try this. And I even like differentiated this template too. So I have ones where ki kids are trying to tie together six different degrees of connections between things. Um, I've got others where it's simply just two. So like if they're really struggling, like two very different things, like. What's the connections that, that exist between World War One and World War Two? And then the students have to make bubbles and they chart the like how those things are actually, you know, connected in some way. Um, so that that was the whole inspiration behind that. So, yeah, the, the blog post is a, a, you if you never know what you're going to get uh, the week before. I think I was blogging about something. Um, it was 
uh, videonote.es, uh, that app, and it died. Um, actually, right when our book came out, and of mm -hmm. course we had we had just put it in the book, and I was like, oh my god, like because it, it was it was really really cool. It was an amazing um, app if you wanted to like take notes alongside a video. Um, and so uh, somebody sent me another one uh, that could be like that seemed like really really good replacement. I checked it out, and it's called Video Ant, and we blogged about that one that people could use. So you never know what you get there. I used to do a similar activity with U.S. history classes uh, that I called it Six Degrees of Separation. I didn't add the Kevin Bacon part to it. Mm. But, again, taking two events in U.S. history that were seemingly unrelated and had mm -hmm. nothing to do with each other, and then the students had to come up with different things in between that would eventually lead to it. So, for example, how did the Treaty of Versailles lead to the Great Depression? And mm -hmm. then they had to, well, the Treaty of Versailles led to the, the end of World War I, so now soldiers are coming home and going back into a civilian economy. And then all the different events from that point forward that yeah. eventually lead to the Great Depression. And it was great because no two students had the same thing. It, they were all mm -hmm. over the place. And, and the whole idea behind the connection making was as long as you can justify it, there's no wrong answer. If you just yeah. write down an and event... But don't yeah. explain anything that, that that then you're not making the connection. If you can yeah. put that down and then explain it, that there, there's no wrong answer. And it was a lot of fun. I actually forgot about that activity until now after you explained this blog post. So mm -hmm. so great. I guess and, great. And minds the thing think is, alike. it's super. It's super metacognitive too, and it's super student driven. Um, and, and it may sound like if this blog post sounds a little bit unusual to listeners, like. It's it, it's not necessary. I mean, it doesn't have to be ed tech. I mean, I publish templates out there. You can do it with, um, you know, on Google Drawing, I think was the one that I gave. You can also do it on, you know, just like regular pieces of paper. Um, but it, but it's the way that we're thinking about, um, you know, making uh, learning more accessible to kids. And, and one of those ways is teaching our kids how how their brains work and how their brains think. So. Yeah, I do an, a similar activity that is in the last one of the last books I wrote called and my uh, colleague authored it. But I mean, she created the activity called Connect Four out of desperation when she was coaching a teacher and she walked in the room and the teacher had the whiteboard literally filled with terms that the students were just to define. And she's like, I had to do some model teaching in the moment to improve the practice. And my students love that because it's kinesthetic. We put all this vocabulary that we have in educational psychology, you know, we'll put a set of it together on cards and then they have to draw verbal connections between different terms, whether it's directed by them or directed by me, and then explain their thinking and how those things connect. And they can manipulate the terms on their desk or their table. And so... Um, that's what Nathan and I like to do is like, how do you turn the instruction over to the learner? Because we're never going to, we're never going to teach students all the content that they're going to experience in their lives. Information is replicating way too fast to do that. Maybe my parents, you know, could have been students in that era, but not, not our students today. So how do you teach them to be great students and great thinkers? Because those are skills that they can carry on throughout their lifetime. Well, I think that's the that's the trick too is 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 kind of bridging that for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you also have you mentioned 
the Make It Till Friday podcast, mm-hmm. and I you have a link on your website here about that as well. So, but tell us a little bit more about the podcast. So the idea behind that is it an extension of the book? Is it something completely different? So, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it's it's really the essence of it, wasn't it, Nate? Was the origin of it was a bit different. We were at IFTI last year, presenting and talking to lots of different teachers, and we we're like, there's really nothing for that beginning teacher audience that's virtual and accessible for anyone anywhere like i started in a very rural setting and so did matt miller where do you find a colleague who talks about what to do about classroom management that you might be the only first year teacher or the only first year teacher in your discipline or the only person in your discipline Mm -hmm. and so when nate and i started conceive of this podcast we said let's do the year developmentally so that's how the podcasts are set up from what do you do the summer before you start that first job? And we have like interviewing and networking and all those things to how do you set up your classroom? What are your procedures? What's your management? Uh-oh. And then by fall, what do you do when it all crashes? And um, we've invited guests from all over the world to talk about their best advice for beginning teachers to try to give that support virtually to teachers really anywhere and it really is from elementary through secondary level um we'll continue to produce the podcast nate's finishing his master's he's almost done Um, congrats Uh, so um you are so close (laughs) put lots of energies into that but i foresee us continuing like to think about beginning teacher needs and what topics and ideas and guests we could invite what do you want to add to that nate um i mean i think like just because you work you know in teacher prep so much um and again we're kind of all about accessibility that's that's kind of where the podcast the idea of the podcast came i i think i was also searching for something just to do next like after the book came out um because i can't like really like as a person i have a really difficult time just kind of like intellectually sitting back and not doing anything um (laughs) So like that, that was kind of the, the origin idea for it. I think though, too, like th- there is something to be said about podcasting as a medium that's just accessible um, compared to like, uh, I, I don't know, like, you know, uh, I, you know, a textbook that's for mm-hmm. teachers where they're, you know, like, okay, I, why, well, I, I'm already stressed out enough as it is. Why would I ever want to go and read a book about how, you know, how, you know, it, it, that, that seems like for as a first year teacher, that'd be kind of burdensome. So that was kind of our reasoning behind that medium. Um, and then we, we've kind of taken that idea since and also, you know, then gone off and um, we, we have like two ebooks right now that are free for downloading at our blog. One is like how to get started in ed tech as a beginning or a new teacher in the world of ed tech. And so that was kind of along that same vein. And then we had a second one, um, podcasting beyond the classroom, which is, you know, uh, completely downloadable um, and about like, you know, how if you want to try podcasting with your kids about how mm-hmm. like and some of the research that's behind it that exists out there about why it's effective. Um, so that that's out there as well. So and I see one of our next steps just for your listeners to be watching. Um we're proposing on presentations for the next 12 months related to kind of those intersections between the instructional technology that we're working on and the pedagogies, but how do you open up access for students' lived cultural and linguistic experiences mm. to become part of your classroom? How do you bring in the voice of uh, varied learners 
so that everyone has ownership and feels a sense of belonging more, I would say more connection to culturally responsive practice um, because there there's overlap there too, but with some great intentionality, I think we can um, even think about quite a variety of voices coming into our classroom and, and really honoring that. Well, I think that's, that's, that sounds amazing because I, I do, I love this idea of, of, I think Nate, you're exactly, you hit it when we think about new teachers and you're like, I'm so overwhelmed with the amount of stuff out there, not to mention, yeah. not to mention my job just in right. general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just trying to keep my head above water. And mm-hmm. so I think podcasting, I know we've, uh, we've kind of talked about this, Kyle, and I've talked about it a little bit. I mean, I, I see podcasting and education as kind of taking over for Twitter chats are great. You know, mm-hmm. I, I participate in Twitter chats. I run a Twitter chat, but I think sometimes that's you have to be there you have to be mm-hmm. scrolling through it you have to read it a podcast is it's it's you can listen to it at any point mm-hmm. yeah. 2 a.m if you can't sleep because you have exactly. a sick kid, you know you can listen <laughs> to a quick podcast or uh, you know colleagues and friends have said hey we listen to your podcast when we're commuting right mm-hmm. yeah that's where i do my podcast i have a 40 minute commute each way so i'm driving almost an hour <laughs> yeah. and a half every yeah. day so that's that that's my time to where I can listen to podcasts and I listen at one and a half speed so I can get through them a little bit quicker. Um, so there is, there is my our friend Ryan O'Donnell um, that we've mentioned many times on the show that I do have to slow his show down. Check this out because Ryan already talks relatively fast like myself yes. as it is. So I do got to slow that one down, but for the most part, I, yeah, I listen quicker and I can get through things and then um, it's not as, um, convenient as if you do need if you want to remember something you can't you know necessarily write, write it down it or, or right. anything while while you're driving so or you shouldn't be at least i mean people have done <laughs> done worse while driving i guess but um but no it, it's just it's such an accessible format of professional development a way to learn so and then just with your show being geared more towards the new teacher i don't necessarily see it as being geared towards the new teacher because it's all topics that really anybody could benefit from revisiting every now and then that that whole beginning of the year thing so because sometimes i i've been teaching for 15 years now and i feel like i've got it down that beginning of the year part but sometimes maybe i just do need a little bit of refresher about some different ways to start Mm -hmm. the new year instead of just doing what i've been doing now for several years kind of at like you know just you know autopilot at this point yeah that's a good point or tips for mentoring others so one of our guests is a, is a visual arts teacher, and she just happens to be one of my running buddies, but she is like an amazing teacher. And, she, and I don't think visually like that. Thank God Nathan does because it complements our work because I'm an auditory processor. But she's like, visualize what you want the students to do in the next step when you're doing a big project. And I'm like, oh, what great advice. So I'm passing that on to the beginning teachers with whom I work. So it could be for a mentor to listen to or a school leader also. Oh, yeah. Great point. Mm-hmm. So lots of great resources here between your your blog, your podcast, obviously the book as well. So just all sorts of different things. I've got everything in the show notes. And then you're also very active on Twitter and you know connecting mm-hmm. with the two of you on Twitter. So you have your Twitter handle, Teach From Ridge. Do you have your own individual ones as well? No, it's just that one uh, together. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say because we can put those ones in as well. So, but I mean, 
thank you so very much yeah. for again taking some time out and chatting with us today. I mean, there's just so much that you were able to share, and I don't think I've ever done so much diving into things while recording on any <laughs> any previous episode because there was just I was on the web I was on your website and I was on the, the cast.org just looking at all this stuff while we're talking about it just because I know if I if I didn't look at it I was probably yep. going to forget because that tends to happen sometimes. So I, I will totally own that I was on your guys' blog and then I got sidetracked into the Kevin Bacon thing and then I was like, oh, what's this one? <laughs> so that's fine. Uh, we should do pre-work and the show, we know. <laughs> <laughs> so but but then again that goes back to that whole yeah. we're busy people. We're all busy people. Yeah, so sometimes fun. can't do it. And then uh just again, thank you so very much. That was so awesome. Yeah, so but stick around, we do got our quick uh, little learn about segment we're gonna share with uh you real quick, but First off, though, listeners, you know, you're out there. Thank you for listening. Keep this conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics um, that Nate and Angie so graciously shared. Email us at beeredupodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at beeredupod using hashtag beeredupod as well. Hit us up on Facebook, beeredupodcast, all one word. Instagram, that's the fun one, sharing the beers that we're having uh, when we're out and about at times, at beeredupod there. Um, follow Nate and Angie at Teach the Ridge on Twitter. It's in the show notes. Send us a voice message using the Anchor app. We'll put that in the show if you'd like. And then leave us a review wherever you're listening to your shows at. Um, more people can find the podcast that way. And uh, makes Ben and I feel good that we feel like we're making a positive contribution to the educational world with this show. Yes, for sure. Hit us up on those. And it's and I, I did just type it wrong in the notes. It's Teach from the from the Ridge, right? Did I get it right? So the the your, your, your uh, the blog yeah the blog is teachingfromtheridge.com. Just Perfect. You know, www. Yeah, and then um on Twitter it's at teachfromridge. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure people can find you guys because you guys have a ton of resources and everything. I think people we definitely do. need to check out. So thanks again. So hey, this is going to be the part where we now are going to learn about beer. Absolutely. So Ben, you've got a pretty good one today, kind of uh, in the same vein as what we had a couple weeks ago with our Las Vegas beer scene. So let's talk about the Reno beer scene. Yeah. So, so this really starts in in 1993. Uh, It becomes legal in Nevada for breweries to brew their own beer. So before, you know, you would get your normal beers from uh, your local bars, uh, your, your retailers, things like that. But there wasn't really a, there was a really good solid homebrew scene in Reno and that really came up. I mean, I think it kind of blew up. I wasn't involved in it in 93, but I, I got involved to it in the late nineties and um, you could brew your own beer. There's some great places to pick up equipment and stuff like that. But then we started getting a ton of brewers. I mean, the first one was great basin. So great basin. We've talked about them on the show. They were the first uh, during that, the more modern era of uh, local brewers um, to do their brewing. So great basin brewing company, but then that's, that has led to a ton of other ones. And I mean, we, we have a huge list on our, in the show notes, you have silver peak, brewing um you have lead dog brewing you have brew brothers which is tied with uh, the big casino um el dorado and the row um you have um revision brewing um brewer's cabinet we've talked about those guys that's a they do the tahoe beer um you have brasserie st james they do some of their own beers um pigeon head imbibe um we have the black rabbit mead company a little different take on on beers uh tentor brewing and distillery uh you have the depot 
brewing and distillery. We've recorded from, you know, a show from there. You have 5050 and Truckee, which is definitely one of Kyle's favorites. Mm -hmm. And then you have Shoe Tree down in Carson City. And then there's a bunch of small ones that, that just keep popping up all the time. So those are the big ones. Yeah. And for us, you know, the 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 valley that Reno sits in, you know, population wise, you're talking like four hundred thousand people, and this right. isn't even all of them that we that we have in this area. So, you know, we when we talked about Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, that's a that's an area of over two million people, and yeah. they have quite a few breweries. But Reno has almost as many as that area, just because. It, this is kind of where brewing got started in Nevada about 30 years ago when it became legal again. So it only makes sense that there's so many here. And then when you look at the ones around here too, it's a lot of like younger people that are yes. that are opening these. I know like Lead Dog, for example, I think when they opened in 2016, the, the man that opened that was only 22 years old. He had been brewing wow. with his yeah. father from like the age of 14. And um, oh, I, yeah. I'm just kind of interested about that, how, well, how that worked. <laughs> it is. Well, and like Silver Peak, and I don't know if he's still there, but one of my son, my son's only 25. One of his good friends is the, is the master brewer at one of the, at one of the breweries. And I'm like, they went to school together. So, I mean, yeah, it is, it is, there's more people involved in the scene and they're, they're really promoting it. What's crazy about this is when like Great Basin first started, it was a big deal when they started bottling uh, Icky. So the, when they started bottling Icky, it was like, oh, my gosh, you, you didn't have to go and get a growler. You could go buy a six-pack. Well, now all of these guys, I mean, I think of Lead Dog, I think of um, Revision and Tentor. They have got not just a couple beers canned or bottled. They have, a, you know, probably Tentor probably has like nine or ten Well, and then they're available in all sorts of places. Yes. I was – Recently, you know, within the last few months, I go down and visit Adam and Kat uh, that, that have been on the show down yeah. uh, in the Fresno area. And we go to just the gas station down the street from where they live to just go pick up some beers to have with the barbecue that we're having. And here's an entire cooler where half of it was Reno beer. You right. know, and there's a couple of them. And there, I remember there was a couple revision beers. I'm like, wait, what is that? I don't even I live in Reno and don't even know what that one right. is. So, yeah, yeah, they're all over the place. And then you've also got there's all these great gastro pubs and beer bars that are popping yes. up as well. Yeah, I mean, like we have Beer Envy, which is the big one that you know multiple taps. I don't even remember what the number of taps they have. I think it's about sixty. Yeah, so they're rotating, so you can always get different stuff. I mean, local stuff, but then also, you know, stuff from California, some East Coast. I mean, I've seen Dogfish there. I've seen all kinds of of different things and then you have pinion bottle company also similar to that sassafras down in carson city the fox brew pub in carson city and then there's another one and i think they are they recently opened in downtown carson city uh another brewery down there and i i cannot remember the name of it and i was just there a couple weeks ago but there's another one down there yeah and i mean these are places I've honestly, I haven't been to Beer Envy. I, I just go based off of what you've told me before. Right. Pinion, they have 300 beers. They got like 36 taps, and then they've wow. got 250 to 300 bottles and cans in the cooler. Uh, that yeah. you just you just walk up to the cooler, take it up to the bar, pay for it, and then you can drink it right yep. there. And it's, yeah, yeah, sassafras. The food there, absolutely amazing. I I love Shepherd's Pie. They add horseradish Ooh. to the mashed potatoes of their shepherd's pie. Ooh. Yeah. All right. And, oh yeah. No, it's absolutely great. And then then they have a um they have a 
fusion Vietnamese fusion banh mi sandwich there that is really good as well. Wow. And then, and then that Fox Brew Pub, they actually make their own beer too, but um, that's yes. more of like a British pub style place where you know fish and chips and uh, bangers and mash kind of deals. So, but yeah, super good. Yeah, and then the the one too, it's not. I don't. I don't really necessarily think of it as being like necessarily a beer bar, but there is a lounge in the Peppermill Casino here that has a great beer selection as well. Oh yeah, so the craft brew scene in Reno is is I mean we have we're up coming on Brew Haha, which is the big uh, craft brew event, one of the casinos. We do it. Reno, Northern Nevada does a pretty good job with their craft brew, I would say. Yeah, and so. then there's also in the fall, there's the Chilean Beer Festival at the Grand yes. Sierra where it's um, something like 50 different brewers with 300 different beers, mm-hmm. and then it's a chili cook-off too. So yep. you buy your ticket, and you get all-you-can-sample beers, and then you can taste all the different chilies too. So I've honestly never done it, but <laughs> I want to. But at the same time, though, I'm starting. we're all starting to get to that age where it's like, do we really want to mix that much beer and chili together? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know. so I I can see that being a heartburn city for about Don't three days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so basically that's that's the Reno beer scene. I mean, there's there's a lot of great places, a lot of um, really good brewers in town. A lot of that I think what's great about these local brewers is they're also you don't have to necessarily go to their brewery. If you're at some of the other smaller uh, bars and cafes and everything are really trying to promote uh, local brewers. So. Yeah, it's 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 a good scene. It's definitely 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 way better than when it first started. You know, in the and I think about we had ninety ninety three. You know that there was only one of them, and then it was Great Basin. So that was it. So that's it. That's the Reno Brew scene. Yeah, no, it's 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 been it's been a lot of fun looking at both Las Vegas yeah. and Reno. So we're gonna need to do an episode now where we cover the rest <gasps> of the state. Yes, where yes. the little bit harder to going come. to go to Elko. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you get, well, there's Ruby Mountain out there, which is a good yeah. one, and then. Yeah, we'll have to take a look at the rest of the state, which is obviously sure. going to be a lot more limited and harder to get a hold of, but uh, nonetheless, still really interesting. Oh, cool. Well, hey, I think that wraps up our episode 064. We got to say thank you so much to our guests. Thank you for having us. That was fun. Thanks for having us. It's great. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, next episode is going to be episode 65. And, uh, you know, we also got coming up very quickly, we've got uh, Spring Q, which I'll be there yes. doing some recordings. Ben, you will be on a cruise to Hawaii or something like that. I will be. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I yeah. know. <laughs> that hurts to be you, I guess. So. I know. It does. So, but no, we'll be um, we'll be doing some recording at Q and uh, Ben, we're going to try to get you remote to take yep. a uh, vacation yep. from your vacation while we're there. And then, yeah, we'll have some special stuff going on there and um, check us out there. We'll have some swag and whatnot. And uh yeah, so that being said, that until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. <laughs>